There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you? Well, we've come to the end of our series, ladies and gentlemen, The Beatles. And what a long, strange trip it's been. We've talked about the Beatles' influence on music, film, sartorial and tonsorial fashion. But there is a darker side to Beatle power. <laughs> Tolkien may have given us pretty much all modern fantasy literature, but he also brought us to the Sword of Shannara. Dope. Sergei Eisenstein effectively created modern film editing, but he also paved the way for science craze. <laughs> huh? And, and the Beatles may have brought us Oasis and the British Invasion, but they are also indirectly responsible for the monkeys. It's true. Yes, the original Prefab Four, a band vat-grown in a secret lab in Burbank for the sole purpose of starring in a sitcom and, in 1968... Their own movie, Head. Head. The monkeys, carefully pre-stamped to have a smart one, a cute one, a quiet one, and a funny one. Take your own guess, which was which. <laughs> and musically directed, initially, by that fireball of the music industry, Dawn Kirshner. <laughs> we have got a lot to cover today, so strap in. I'm the host, walking down the street, Max Levine, and over there, getting the funniest looks from everyone he meets, hey! is Mike Luce. <laughs> Just because I'm monkey this week. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a monkey. I do monkey, monkey stuff. <laughs> uh, but first... Is there a poll question? There is. Ooh. You should know. It was yours oh, last yeah. week. Poll question. We asked... What is your favorite movie quote? What Ooh. line do you pull out more than any other, and why is it your favorite? Now, we got a lot of what's. We didn't get a lot of why. Oh, but, well. Well, you'll see. We got one. Hmm. Steve Harvey says, it puts the lotion in the bucket. <laughs> and I'm sorry, excuse me for being pedantic, Here Steve, it but it's, it puts the lotion in the basket, not bucket. <laughs> And just it's for that, important. Max, we're going to have to give Steve the fire hose. <laughs> yep, Steve gets a drink from the fire hose. Brian Mundo writes, I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> Yikes. From Meet the Parents, by the way, that wasn't an actual question. Uh, uh, Benjamin Carl writes, variations on, it's a big building with patience, but that's not important right now. <laughs> ah, a classic. Valerie Coons, who is in no way related to any quote involving Mike Luce, <laughs> Oh, gee, so many. Two go-tos. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> and, of course, I'm not repeating myself. I'm not repeating myself. Oh, God, I'm repeating myself. <laughs> Nick Hoffman says, I'm with Val. There are so many. But in this case, I have one that you and I, meaning uh, Mike and he, used to recite whenever taking a trip in the Narcmobile. It's 106 miles to Chicago. Excuse me, Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. <laughs> You know, I think they're on a, a mission from Gad. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh, ma'am, we're musicians. Uh, Richard Tatum has, I'm shocked to find there's gambling in this establishment. <laughs> uh, Captain Reno, here's your wings. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, Kelly Cooper has several. I misquote stripes pretty regularly. The original line was, you can't go, all the plants are going to die. <laughs> I always say, you're leaving, you can't leave, all the plants will die which is probably some part of why no one recognizes it. <laughs> the other part of it, it's being a 41-year-old movie. Also, 
Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Never tell me the odds. That's not a knife. This is a knife. And, uh, life uh, finds a way. She even wrote the uh. <laughs> I'm well, sure there are others, but I can't think of them offhand. Oh, wait. <laughs> he thought of another offhand. <laughs> when someone says, I'll be back, especially if they do the Arnold voice, which sounds even more like Bach, I reply, I'll be Beethoven, which isn't related to the movie, but amuses me. Okay. <laughs> Good for her. Thanks, Kelly. Yep. From Dave. Dave. From Stripes, I use, it's like going into Wisconsin pretty regularly. <laughs> and he has two from Repo Man, plate of shrimp, and put it on a plate, dear, it'll taste better. Ah. And he has one that he actually wrote in kanji, which means, of course, <laughs> I can't read it. But it's from Kagamusha, and it's, the mountain will not move. Ah. And his uh, legal assistant, Liz, suggests, yeah, you blend. <laughs> Benjamin Schleiss has, it's got electrolytes. It's what plants crave. It's a deeper from idiocracy. Yeah, I never saw it. Christine Santos has, wait for me, Audrey. This is between me and the vegetable from the whole shop of horrors. <laughs> and, of course, surprised no one else had one of these. But I'm the dude, so that's what you call me. You know, that or uh, his dudeness or a duder or El Duderino, if you're not, in, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. <laughs> Lebowski. Haley Paulson says, every line Lena Lamont delivers in Singing in the Rain is pure gold, and thank you for bringing me to the realization that she is probably the character I quote most often. I don't know what this says about me. People? I ain't people. I'm a shining, <laughs> shimmering star in a cinema firmament. It says it so. It says so right, right here. here. <laughs> Dan Schaefer says, I would say that 50 to 60% of my con conversation, at least with certain friends, consists of movie quotes. It is literally impossible for me to choose a single quote as my favorite. You may as well ask me which bone in my skeleton is my favorite. For me, it's the clavicle. <laughs> which of the few remaining hairs of my head I prefer? That said, of course, <laughs> uh, there are definitely some quotes that get brought out relatively frequently. Could be worse. Could be raining. <laughs> Young morons. I've got morons on my team. That one I didn't know. Not sure. Huh. Maybe. You keep thinking, Butch, that's what you're good at. Well, we can guess. Yeah. Rude the day. Who talks like that? <laughs> real genius. Yep. Well, real genius and is like, that's a treasure trove. It really is. It's like every other line is quotable. I think I came back with him with, uh, um, your mother sews license plates in your underwear? How do you sit? <laughs> From the Great White North, Vince, the snowman, writes... Well, I quite often yell, you see, you see, your stupid minds, stupid, stupid, from uh, Plan 9. Uh, arrows. <laughs> and our medical correspondent, Dr. Lauren, Oh, she had a whole bunch. Oh. Yep, the first quote I thought of was, inconceivable. <laughs> of course, the first one, right? After I thought of my somewhat more wordy actual favorite, I remembered another one-word quote. It's from the African Queen, and I don't remember what led up to it, but Humphrey Bogart makes a statement about how reality ought to be, but is clearly not. Catherine Hepburn gives him a look and says, nonetheless. <laughs> I can absolutely picture that. My favorite quote is from the, from the Big Chill. Jeff Goldblum's character says, uh, don't knock rationalizations. Uh, they're more important than sex. H have you ever gone two weeks without a good juicy rationalization? <laughs> and my favorite quote 14 years ago was from Meg Ryan. I actually recited this to my husband on our first date. 
Don't talk to me about dating. If they're not married, they're gay, or they just broke up with the most wonderful girl in the world, or they just broke up with a real bitch who looks just like me. <laughs> they want to date, but they, can't, they just can't seem to commit. Or they want to commit, but they can't seem to get close. They want to get close, but you don't want to get near them. Wow. I've been dating for, I've been dating for 20 years. I've gotten so I can tell if there's any chance in the first five minutes. Dang, that's yeah. a long thing to quote, especially at your uh, potential husband. Yeah, who uh, she apparently did marry, so oh. must have worked. Oh, cool. So, guys, these were great. Thank yeah. you so much. I'm a little. I, I kind of wish someone had explained why. I mean, Lauren. I think Dr. Lauren did. Yeah, but eh, uh, that's all right. That's fine. We always like getting the answers. But uh, Max, this was my yeah. question. So, what's your answer? <laughs> I'm actually on with Dan on this. Most of my vocabulary is movie quotes. Yeah. I, I don't know how to choose a favorite. I, I really don't. But pick one that you I, use a lot. Oh, Lord. But talking to Max well, is honestly like, there are people who just sit there and watch because they have no idea what we're saying because all we do is converse in movie quotes because we honestly, know what they mean. Yep. So but one it's that like, keeps coming up and it makes no sense, but it's from Birdemic and you know it. It's, <laughs> what's post? Keep flailing. <laughs> And you know that's Max's way of saying it's. Don't worry about it. It's 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 a it's like it's a weird mistake. It's a it's yeah, a stupid it's a mistake. Thing. But there's nothing we can do about it. Just keep going. It's like Darmac and what's his name at Tanaka. It's, it's, it's <laughs> literally and that. Yep. <laughs> like once I realized because I remember when I first saw that episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Mm -hmm. Um, and there a lot of people have questioned the validity of a language based on reference or something. A metaphor, like yeah. And then I started listening to the way Max and I have been talking to each other for the last 40 <laughs> years. It's like, uh, it makes total sense to me. I get it. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid so. We all know what the context means. We all know what the, we both know what the quotes mean. Nobody else does. It's a la it's like the language twins come up with. Yeah. And uh, my partner used to <laughs> hate it because like, you and Max have this language that nobody else understands. And it's like, well, we don't have a problem with that. But then... My partner and I started developing one of our own, and it's mostly mm -hmm. based on old vines. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> what do you have? A knife? No! Okay. Uh, stuff like that. So, But for me, there's one that is just so dumb and literally has absolutely no use that I like to throw it out there occasionally when I just can't think of anything else to say. Um <laughs> And we may be having to talk about this movie soon. I won't say why, because it's a secret. Uh, uh -huh. But it's from the 1966 oh. Batman movie. <laughs> yep, and they're trying to figure is. out who the villain is this week. Of course, it's a movie, so it's not the same thing. And at one point, Robin literally says, all the crimes took place at sea. Sea for Catwoman! <laughs> it's just yep, so just dumb. non sequitur. So dumb. But, but that, absolutely memorable. Yeah. I mean, you know, then there's, there's other movies, too, that I quote all the... What's with today? Today, <laughs> I don't have to explain Empire. my art to you, to anybody, Warren. Yeah, Empire Records is is rife with quotes. Yeah. So uh, thanks, yeah, once again for all the cool answers. You know, it, Max and I love them. We knew most yep. of them just because it's it's what we yeah. do. Um, but Max, do you have a new <laughs> poll question? Thought you were turning into like Alanis Morissette there. You know, <laughs> ooh, ooh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, you ought to know what the next poll question is. Yeah, I do. Who is your favorite star who successfully made the jump from TV to movies? Bugs Bunny. You can say and back again, but someone who started out in TV and really made it big in the movies. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, they can answer us in ways that uh, we'll have to wait because now, serious ways. Don't we have some trivia to talk about? Give us some trivia about head, Max. The show. So, oh boy. <laughs> First off, we got to talk a little bit about the monkeys themselves. Should we? Yes, we should. Yeah, well, we should. The, the, an aspiring filmmaker named Bob Raffleson came up with the idea for the monkeys in 1962. It got uh, sort, of, sort of more uh, focus after he saw and was inspired by A Hard Day's Night, last week's movie. See our entire episode on Hard Day's Night. Yep. Originally, they wanted to cast an existing uh, rock band. Or rock band. They wanted to use the Lovin' Spoonful. Oh. Yeah. I did not but know that. That didn't work out, so they decided to manufacture their own band. <gasps> no! Yep, yes. They got four relative unknowns, Davy Jones, Peter Tork, Mickey Dolenz, and Mike Nesmith. There's a lot to say about all these guys, but I'll just, just a very quick pricey. Um, Peter Tork was a musician. Mike Nesmith was a musician, somewhat actor, from a very rich family. Because, as everybody knows, what did his mother invent, Mike? I never can remember if it's liquid paper or it's whiteout. I think it's liquid paper. It was liquid paper, but I think whiteout was just another brand name. But yeah, and she made a fortune that way. Mickey Dolenz was the son of character actor George Dolenz, who has had almost 50 movies to his name. Mm. Uh, Mickey, of course, we all know from his days as a child actor in that famous franchise uh, series, Circus Boy, which, nope. as you know... Later came to The Revenge of Circus Boy, Circus Boy Returns. I think you're making that part Circus up. Boy Strikes Back, and then the dark, gritty reboot in the night. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm making it up. It was a... No one saw it. And Davy Jones, who was actually... Had a background in musical theater. He played... He was nominated for a Tony for playing the Artful Dodger in Oliver. Yeah. He feels like an Artful Dodger. Yeah, he does. He and let's face is, it, he's British. He is, he is English. He did have that going for him. Let's also, I want to address the elephant in the room. It is true, on the first two albums of the Monkees, they did not play their own instruments. <gasps> this is not because they couldn't play instruments. Actually, all it of was. them. Huh? <laughs> it was. No, it wasn't. They all could play. No. They just weren't very good. Davy never could play anything except no, the that is not true. <laughs> that is not true. Davy could play the guitar. And he could play the violin. Not in this movie. He just wasn't... Gr no, not in the movie. Uh, however, Don Kirshner, that, <laughs> that bundle of energy... Sorry, who I mostly know from Don Kirshner's Raw Concert. Does anyone know him from uh, anything else? Yeah, he was a major force. He was a big time music producer. Mm. So who so thought he could act, or at least <laughs> thought he could be the host of a rock show... I used to, it was came on after Saturday Night Live, and I used to watch it because I was all wound up, and his voice would help me sleep. <laughs> anyway, back to the trivia yeah, part. Yeah, back to, the, yeah. They couldn't, they could play their instruments not well enough, they thought, but eventually they basically argued into it the second season of the show, and after the second album, they did end up playing their instruments. The only problem was the drums. There was one of them who could play the drums, and that was Davey. The problem is, Davey is somewhat um, <laughs> vertically challenged, to sell, we say, and when he would sit behind the drums, you couldn't see him. Yeah. So they decided Mickey would play the drums. Mickey didn't know how to play the drums. They taught him enough to fake it, to mime, but eventually he learned, and he was perfectly adequate. There you go. 
Yeah. So the monkeys, the the show ran for a couple of seasons. It was fairly popular. They they eventually ended up touring. They did other albums that were not terribly successful. They had a number of songs that really charted, you know. Mm-hmm. Ones with people still remember. I'm a believer, Daydream Believer, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Mary Mary, which got remade by Run DMC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, if yeah, they man, walk you know that what'll way, sound up to them. You know what'll sound really street? The monkeys. <laughs> I don't know. And of course, one of my favorites that Dave introduced me to, I'm going to buy me a dog. <laughs> I'm going to buy not me most, a dog. No, not the most musically challenging, but a lot of fun. I mean, it's no Auntie Griselda, but what is? Yeah. Now, they made this movie in 68, which was, by the way, about a year after the show had been canceled. And the movie itself, the budget, $750,000. Now, a misleading ad campaign featuring John Brockman's face and no mention of the monkeys. (laughs) They didn't mention the monkeys in conjunction with this movie in any of the advertising. They thought it would turn people off. Uh, Combined with a poorly timed release date of November 6th, Mm. two months after the monkeys had been canceled, didn't do the film any favors at the box office, and it after a six seven hundred fifty thousand dollar budget, it took in sixteen thousand dollars. <laughs> you know, Yikes! I took in more than sixteen thousand dollars last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, shall we say, not a success. Ah, Peter Tork was the only one of the monkeys to appear on the set of the film for the first scheduled day of filming. <laughs> the other three had decided to strike in protest against not being allowed to write and direct the film themselves. Yeah, they wrote nothing in the film, although Dolan's, they say, was uncredited. Yeah. Uh, Well, they soon returned, feeling they had made their point with co-writer, co-producer, and director Bob Raffleson. The unity between the band and the producers was pretty much destroyed. Uh, For their part, Raffleson and Schneider, the guys who created the show, began playing albums on the set by other groups, like Electric Flag, Ah. claiming that's real rock and roll. Is that with two Gs? One of the many stories there are, and there are a lot of stories about how the movie got made, was centered sort of around the cl- that big classic counterculture movie, Easy Rider, which came out a year later in 69. Also directed by? Well, I'll get to there. It was produced, in fact, by Bob Raffleson. Yep. Uh, as the story goes, Raffleson had met Jack Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, and Peter Fonda and wanted to produce their film. He went to Columbia Pictures and pitched it. Columbia said, sure, but you also got to make a monkey's movie. Well, I was like, sure. Here's the thing. Raffleson was one of the people who created the monkeys. Yeah, so, he was. He said, you got to well, make a movie yeah, out of these into, guys, too. We'll probably get into this into the discussion, yeah. but go ahead. Yeah. And Raffleson agreed and uh, got Nicholson, who was also a screenwriter, to write the film. Yes, this film was co-written by Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Well, he had a couple of partners. He did. He had a couple. <laughs> we'll get to that, too. So, uh, Jack Nicholson actually compiled the film's soundtrack in its final form with bits of the film's dialogue between songs. So he's credited on the album cover uh, when he saw Mike Nesmith at work in the studio and asked if he could help. Nesmith let him take over because he said, I just want to go home. <laughs> Nicholson had unwavering enthusiasm for the film, joined a stickering campaign, and declaring later, I saw it, I, lo- I saw it like 158 million times, man, I loved it. I'm assuming he was not in a legal state of mind at that point. Yeah, well. <laughs> there are rumors, and I do hope this isn't true, 
that the film's title was chosen in case they made a sequel, so the advertisements would have read, From the People Who Gave You Head. No. At least oh. what I read was different. You're close. I read that that's one of the reasons they called it Head, because when they did Easy Rider, they could say, From the People oh, Who, brought, who oh, Gave You Head. Okay. Could have been. <laughs> yeah. The, I thought that uh, the monkeys would keep away serious movie critics. The producers did a promotional campaign that emphasized that the film had nothing to do with the monkeys. <laughs> Brilliant. Another another group that was very annoyed by this movie was the Coca-Cola Company. Oh, I, gee, I can't imagine they, why. They were not amused. There's a sequence where Mickey faces off against an un- uncooperative soda machine while they're actually using the jingle, you know, th- things go better with Coke. And they tried to get an injunction against the film. When the film reappeared on cable and home video, which apparently it did, I didn't notice, in 1986, Columbia Pictures by that time was owned by Coca-Cola and the issue was apparently forgotten. Ah. One of the oddest cameos, or not cameos, he's in the film, is Victor Mature (laughs) is in this movie. Yeah. And he he agreed to appear after reading the script, after admitting none of it made any sense to him. Quote, all I know is it makes me laugh. His character, the big Victor, is supposed to be a jab at RCA Victor, who were the distributors for the Monkees Records and whose parents' company also owned NBC. Wait, no. They... Because Columbia owned, it was the Coal Gems label that the Monkees... That's what I thought, but... Oh, weird. Well, maybe they owned Coal Gems or something, I don't know. I just loved the giant Victor Mature wandering around and and stepping And a guy, at one point he shows up and a cop goes, Victor Mature! And faints. (laughs) The weird Mike Nesmith's birthday party sequence was filmed at Paramount Pictures on a set from Rosemary's Baby, which came out the same year. It featured a hundred extras... And pop artist, I don't know who this is, maybe you know the name, Edward Keenholtz. Nope. Whose 1964 sculpture, Backseat Dodge 38, is featured on the set. Ah. There is a scene where, this is the weirdest cameo to me, is Frank Zappa (laughs) shows up in this movie leading a cow. Yep. Which turns to the camera and the cow, not Frank Zappa, the cow says, Monkeys are the craziest peoples. (laughs) This is, by the way, I had heard this in a Bugs Bunny cartoon, but apparently that's a catchphrase of the 1930s radio comedian Lou Lair. Ah. Never heard of. Nope. Yeah. Five years after its premiere, this film was shown at a 1973 Raybert retrospective, along with Five Easy Pieces and Easy Rider, and finally gained a positive response from uh, fans and critics. This movie also has the distinction of being the final film appearance of Tor Johnson. That was actually him? That was him. The security guard that Davey beats up. <laughs> Sorry. It was Tor Johnson. Oh. I was yep. like, it looks like Tor Johnson, but I think it's an incredible simulation. Nope, it was not Tor Mania. It was Tor himself. Oh, dear. The first rough cut of the movie was 110 minutes. Oh, dear. The um, less than stellar audience response got it cut down to 86. Ah, well, that saved it. <laughs> Pauline Kale. I don't know how they got her there. The film critic for The New Yorker reviewed a small portion of the film, but admitted in print that she walked out of the theater after less than an hour. Ah. Oops. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but Davy Jones has this weird dance number Mm -hmm. to the song Daddy's Song with the choreographer of the film. 
Yep. The choreographer for the film is Tony Basil, who you will probably know better as having done the song, Oh Mickey, You're So Fine. Oh, yes. Which, apparently, is rumored to have been named for Mickey Dolenz. <laughs> Sure. That's a rumor. There's well, no proof. We're going to be talking about Mickey Dolenz. Yeah. At no time, this was a big thing for Monkees fans, at no time during the film does Michael Nesmith ever wear his trademark wool cap. Nope. Yep, he was never seen it without it during the, fir- the early part of the Monkees, but it disappeared about halfway through the second season. So a moment of silence for Mike's wool cap. <laughs> Well, I do want to also list a few of the cameos and odd appearances in this movie. <laughs> uh, there's the girl who's making out with them all four of the monkeys at the beginning. It was a woman named Marae Machu, ah. probably best known as Jack Nicholson's girlfriend at the time. <laughs> you know, I think I was known as Jack Nicholson's girlfriend yeah. <laughs> at the time. <laughs> Both Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper appear in the diner sequence yeah. after Peter punches the waitress. John Brockman, whose head was used uh, up on the film's 1968 release, can be seen in it exactly 78 minutes in, in the same pose. That's it. Ah. Uh, one of the party guests was Linda Haynes, the future Mrs. Davy Jones. <laughs> and the tank driver, who is listed as I Vitaloni, <laughs> which is a, an homage to the Italian film I Vitaloni, is Vito Scotti. Yay! Yes, as we all know from Gilligan's Island. (laughs) Among many, many other things. Also in there, I don't know how this happened, there's a boxing sequence (laughs) with Davy Jones. The boxer is Sonny Liston, the heavyweight champ of the world, until Muhammad Ali dethroned him, fighting with Davy Jones. And I remember watching that scene and going, Sonny Liston is showing incredible control because if he looked at Jones too hard, he would have broken his spine. Yeah. And also, of course, in that brief sequence in one shot, uh, Davy Jones' girlfriend is played by Annette Funicello. <laughs> because. Because why not? Sure. There's more. There's plenty of weirdness, but uh, I, I think we'll, we'll stop there. I'm dying for the next part, Max, because I oh, thought yeah. last week was a lot of fun to try and oh, encapsulate. Yeah. I want to hear the plot from you, Max. Tell us the plot of Head, won't you, Max? I will. The plot. Well, this is one of the easiest plot summaries I've ever had to do. The plot. There isn't one. I'm serious. There isn't even a hint of one. No cohesive theme. No connecting tropes. Zilch. It's just weird vignettes Mixing random settings with the monkeys and a surprising collection of guest stars with occasional monkey non-hit songs mixed in. That's it. Full stop. That's really it. This whole movie is just a bunch of utterly unconnected scenes. The lowdown. So, Max, had you actually seen Never. this before? No, me neither. I, th- this is the first time I ever saw the thing. I can't remember because uh, I didn't pay attention, but you worked there. Did this ever show up at the Harvard Square in rotation? Yes, it did. Okay, that's yes, what it I did. Thought. In fact, it, it was often shown as a midnight show, and it would sometimes show up during the day. So, um, one of the things that I was surprised you either glossed over <laughs> in the trivia uh, or I, I didn't pop up. I I did a little uh, research because I was just interested. Um, so, the way this film was written, did you read mm-hmm. about that? No, I don't think I did. Okay, and this will answer a lot of questions I think you have about the film. So apparently the Monkees and Jack Nicholson hung out with their friend, 
pot and <laughs> they just talked and Nicholson recorded it and they just talked their way through a whole bunch of stuff over a weekend. Yeah. Nicholson then took the tapes, sat down, dropped acid and wrote the script. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I have absolutely no trouble believing that. A lot of the dialogue just sounds like a bunch of stone people talk, sitting around and talking about nothing. And I, have, I again, I haven't seen this either. Uh, watching it, especially from the opening, it's like, oh, you were supposed to have dropped before you saw this film. And I think, mm. quite honestly, that this is probably true. I think that's probably what Jack had in mind. It probably was. At least you should see it stoned. Yeah. I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, but, yeah. well, that's okay, because the movie really sets you up for a true monkeys movie, because the two things this film starts with, which really, I can see why the audience would just get going and energetic yeah. right away, is feedback mm -hmm. and a suicide. <laughs> oh, and a bridge, and uh, the opening of a bridge. <laughs> I mean, there's like a, I don't know, three-minute segment of them setting up with some guy in glasses to cut the ribbon on um, a bridge somewhere. His name is Mayor Feedback. I kid oh, you not. Oh, excuse and me. Mayor there's, Feedback. There's a gag about every time he goes to the microphone, it feeds back yeah. and it's this horrible noise. And then when the gentleman next to him, a police officer, comes over to test it, it's fine. Ha ha. They, your Max is right. They do this for about yeah. three minutes. And then yeah. just as he's about to cut the ribbon, the monkeys come running through being chased by yeah. what it turns out to be the end of the film. <laughs> yeah. It's, this film loops. It actually laps itself. The and then, end of the the end of the film becomes the end of the film. And then Mickey goes to the edge of the bridge and jumps off. Now, yeah, you can tell at one point there is a dummy, but... It's pretty obvious. But you're looking at this. This is, a, this is like a huge-ass suspension bridge. Yeah. It's like, yeah, well, he's dead. Yeah. And, but, but no, he's rescued by mermaids <laughs> in psychedelic... Uh, whatever you call... What do you call that kind of film? Solarization. Where, solarization. Yep. Which... Uh, this film is so 1960s. Oh, it boy. Is painful. Yep. It is and it's not the good parts of the 1960s filmmaking. Well, it is literally smack dab in the middle of what is a very short period, as it turns out, uh, the psychedelic rock period, which is about yeah. like 1967 and 1968, and that's about it. There are a few bands that might show up afterwards, but they would by then psychedelia was over. Um, and so, yeah, Mickey's swimming around, and then... Uh, if I don't, I don't know if I remember correctly. I don't care. He shows up in the desert because that happens. Oh no, you forgot. They suddenly they just appear back in their apartment oh, and they're right. making out with oh, Lady right. Pleasure. That's well, her her character's name. Well, now to me, it's like she represented something. Okay, she's free what? love. That was what one oh, of the big right. tenets of the hippie culture was: was free love. Because she was goes from This was the summer of love. Right. Or, well, this was in November, so technically it was the the fall of love. This is the result of the summer of yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bastard child, maybe. But yeah, she yeah. goes and she's kissing monkeys, and she goes from one to one, <laughs> and it's obvious that she's in control. I actually liked that about her. It didn't come off to me as like any, you know, it, it didn't feel whorish or anything. It just felt like, hey, I feel like doing this. I'm going to do it. And then and she's, she's comparing them. Yeah. And she just goes, about the same, and apparently Mike is like asking her to hang out, to stick around after the others are gone, and she just laughs at him. Yeah, and leaves. And disappears. And then we we get this weird tonal shift, because suddenly we're getting footage from Vietnam, the Vietnam War. Yeah. Including, and I don't just mean the, uh, just, you know, bombs falling. I mean the classic execution of the, uh, the Viet Cong. An uh, informer shot in the head on the street, napalm falling. 
See, I didn't interspersed know th- with. Hmm? I didn't know that was footage. I'd only ever seen it oh, yeah. as a still picture. Oh yeah, no, that and, was filmed. And there it is, and they show you this guy being shot in the head, and it's one yeah. of many little blips going on the screen at the same time. Like big tonal shift, and then they're intercutting it with the monkeys in concert. Yeah, and they're screaming, raging fans. I don't know if they're supposed to be comparing rock concerts to warfare. Well. Violence in the culture, it's hard to I, tell. I think it's fairly safe to say that overall, it's a very anti-establishment film. Which is ama- really ironic when you consider the monkeys were the creation of the establishment. Right, very, well, yeah. they were, yeah, it was the idea by this guy, Bob Raffleson, and I forget the other guy's name, Schneider, I think it was. And it, I honestly think it was them. They're going, hey, man, you know, it'd be funny. There's these Beatles. What if we made some Beatles, man? <laughs> I think that's pretty much what it came down to. Uh, and somehow Columbia is like, sure, let's do that. Um, but seeing that footage and stuff, if the Monkees fans, the people who ostensibly were the people that would have wanted to see this film, got this far, I think that's when they left. And that's like 10 minutes into the movie. Because yeah. it's very... It's jarring yeah. and it's upsetting, and oh. then they go into like the Beatles in a war movie. Uh, Beatles, the Monkeys in a war movie. Yeah, Which and is... doesn't make any sense because you know there's a football player in one of the. Uh, I guess you know they're equating football with war, and then suddenly, then Mickey is going through the desert and locked in combat with a coke machine. <laughs> Which he eventually shoots thanks to uh, Vito Scotti's tank. He shoots the, t- yes. the tank. Yeah, Vito Scotti shows up as a tank commander who wants to surrender his entire division yeah. to Mickey. <laughs> and that happens, and then sub- and he blows up. Yeah, then suddenly they're in a tent with, you know, belly dancers. Yeah. And more, you know, sort of Arabian Nights stereotypes. And now, I realize this, for you, wouldn't have been the issue. But I'm sitting here going, I am watching a bunch of attractive half-naked women dancing and I feel this scene's going on way too long. <laughs> it wasn't. I mean, I, I, I thank you for saying that because I couldn't really tell. For me, that yeah. wasn't very evocative. Like it was like, okay, it felt like certain scenes in like the old Star Trek show. It's like you're telling us it's, it's sexy with the mu- music, yeah. but I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, kind of. The thing that was sexy for me, which was a surprise, is they got Mickey Dolan's wandering around in the desert shirtless, and it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, Mickey. Do- oh wow, I Mickey, I've never seen you like this before. Mickey is Mickey kind of ripped. He was hot. Mickey Dolan's <laughs> was hot. I'm like, what the hell? There's a sentence I never thought anyone would say. <laughs> he was though, and he's like his pants are really low on his hips, and <laughs> I just it never occurred to me to think of Mickey Dolan's that way. But there he is. Um, yeah, there's there's dancing girls in a tent, and I I know it's I think it's unless you've seen it more than once, I don't honestly think you could track this film in order. I think it's one of those things. Hey, do you oh, remember I that kept part? Kept in my notes. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I didn't. Know. They fall into a western, which Mickey gets fed up with and walks not only off the set but through it. He actually walks through the backdrop. Well, this is when he pulls arrow. He gets shot with. He gets shot with two arrows, and he's just like, "I'm tired. I'm not doing this anymore. This is all fake." Now, did you think that this might have had something to do with how the various monkeys felt about being monkeys? I don't know. I thought that they might have had to do with he was just he thought the movie was stupid. Well, when I saw this, having I, I didn't do any research ahead of time. Uh, I even when I host, I try not to do that ahead of time because I don't want to be flavored <laughs> um, yeah. or uh, 
looking for something ahead of time. And my thought was, I wonder if this movie isn't the monkeys basically trying to divorce themselves from being the monkeys. And as it turned out, I was close. It wasn't the monkeys trying to do that. It was Bob Raffleson trying to do that. Uh. Well, they were really unhappy with this movie because they had no creative input. Yeah. I mean, they only they barely wrote any of the songs. Well, they did help with some of them, but that's nothing new because yeah. the monkeys had been re- Boys and Heart with a big team behind most of the monkeys, although uh I think Neil Diamond wrote one of the big ones and yeah. I think um uh Neil Sedaka was in there because he yeah. Neil Sedaka wrote for everybody. Yeah. But uh, eventually they would write their own songs and turn out to actually be pretty decent songwriters. The weirdest parts to me, okay, for one, just like Hard Day's Night, when they don't mention the actual name of the band in that movie, they don't mention the monkeys in this one either. They mention their names, but they don't mention the band. The group. They're never referred to as the monkeys. And the only song in here that you could say, and and you're still kind of pushing it, is it all... Um, recognizable is the theme song, which is either called Theme from Head or the Porpoise Song, Mm. which I had heard before. Uh. The other three or four songs, nope. Never heard of them. That weird dance number with Davey, which, I mean, I'd say that, you know, they shouldn't have done that. It was a tonal shift, but the whole film's a tonal shift, so who cares? Uh, If you listen to the lyrics, it's actually a song about a father leaving his family. Yeah, (laughs) and he's doing it as this very upbeat, happy Weird shifting between black and white costumes and dancing with Tony Basil. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't recognize oh, her because she also, was in a cheerleader outfit. But did you notice? For some reason, they keep ending up in a bathroom somewhere, and Peter comes in whistling something. Did you recognize what he was whistling? Yeah, Strawberry Fields. <laughs> yeah, he's whistling a Beatles song, which is a real mistake because you're sitting there going, "I could be listening to Beatles music instead of this." I, I thought it was a little sort of a nod because apparently especially once they took some lessons and actually became reasonable musicians, uh, they did hang out with the Beatles. In fact, one of their songs, and I think it was Mickey who wrote it, and if you want to write it in, tell us, by all means, tell us that I'm wrong, uh, is a song called Randy Scouse Git, which, as a kid, I never understood, what does that mean? Those are three words that don't make any sense to me. (laughs) Now I realize that it means um, horny, liver, puddly, and idiot. Uh, (laughs) But there is a line in that song where they're sitting on the floor with the Four Kings of EMI, I think is the name of is it the lyric. And that's uh, who they are. That's is the Beatles. And apparently they did hang out. And apparently, um, I think Ringo was even quoted as when when one of them passed away. I can't remember which one as being sorry that he had passed away. So I don't think there was a like giant amounts of respect, but apparently they were in the same circles. And something I didn't know, this was actually the soundtrack for this was the first monkeys album not to chart in the top ten. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean they were very, very popular, but none they of were the extraordinarily songs. popular for one for the first couple of years. And they've the thing is, they've stuck around. Yeah, they went. They kept doing reunion tours for a long time. Nesmith wouldn't do it, not because he hated them. That's what I thought at first, because he had other stuff going on and yeah. didn't want to interrupt it. He actually, he really, they all really liked each other. It's very sad. There's only one monkey left. Yep, and interestingly, yeah. it's the one who jumped off the bridge. <laughs> yeah. Yep, Hickey. Yep. Hickey Dolans is the last is the last monkey standing. George Michael Dolans, which is his real name, Junior. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. There's one uh, one cameo you missed. I was kind of surprised you missed, and I was like, uh, which one? What is she doing here? There is a very short bit with Terry Gar. Oh yes, that's right. <laughs> she in that sort of Perils of Pauline sequence. Yeah. Sure. I'm wondering if she even remembers she was in that movie. There was another. There's another one I was going to bring up, which I. If anyone, I thought you might have recognized his voice. Uh, I did not. I don't, the Swami, 
No. An actor named Abraham Sofer. Mm-mm. He had voice work on Star Trek, the original series. Oh. He was the voice of the Melkotian, Inspector okay. of the Gun, okay. and the Thasian in Charlie X. Ah. He had a very cool, deep, imposing voice. Well, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, yeah, this movie's all over the place. but It really it is, is. It is very much, in some ways to me, a comment on a lot of the social issues going on at the time. There's a lot of anti-Vietnam in here, a lot. A lot of anti-war stuff, a lot of anti-establishment. Yeah, and the thing is, is that who's doing this ostensibly, because we don't know as as an audience who actually put the words in their mouths, but ostensibly, it's the monkeys. The last people you would think would be actually Mm. kind of, in a way, surrealistic, cutting-edge commentary on social issues in this film. And I bet... The few monkeys fans who went to see this really just were like, "What the hell?" Yeah, this was not like this isn't what the show was. No, I mean the show had a lot of random stuff in it too, but it was also a sitcom. It had jokes, it had setups, it had punchlines. Yeah, this really doesn't. The only thing I would say about this is this is a commentary. This was 1968. This was one of about 800 bushelsfuls. Of psychedelic movies, sure. especially psychedelic movies that were trying to be socially relevant. Well, it, it was a, it was actually a very new thing for Hollywood. And the fact uh, that they actually the fact that it got released amazes me. Yeah, because it's surprising. Columbia or whoever owned the the monkeys at that time, this would do them no good at all. Like there is no way this could help music sales. It has no popular songs in it. It doesn't nope. portray them the way we're expecting them to be portrayed. Um, there's actually a weird sort of white album niche album albumness white albumness <laughs> about this because okay. the white album is when the Beatles were basically like, Yeah, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna do my like can we just still put it on one album? Yeah, all right, fine, whatever. And the film's not entirely unlike this. Mike seems pretty grumpy through the whole thing. And yeah. the, that one birthday scene you were talking about is basically saying, yeah, I don't want don't want my birthday celebrated. Just leave me alone. I don't even want to be here. And part of me felt like, I don't think Mike wants to be in the movie. And Peter, Peter Tark saying, you know, I'm always the dummy. And he's yeah. doing it as a joke, but there's a certain edge behind it. Yep. Like he was tired of always playing the stupid one. Right. And... It, they make fun of him, like they don't want to listen to him. There's one point where they're one of the two times they're stuck in a big black box and can't get out. And Peter yeah. says he thinks he knows the the answer, but they won't listen to him because he's the dumb one. And he finally is like, "Well, if you don't listen to me, you won't be able to get out." Um, and then he basically repeats word for word what the Swami and the and the steam bath said. Yeah, who sounds like every nineteen? It's, it's that same kind of nineteen sixty pseudo philosophical nonsense that everybody on a street corner was spouting. Well, but of course you could also, if you wanted to be generous, you could draw parallels between George Harrison and going uh, him going out because he was the quiet one, and mm-hmm. Pete is the... Oh, I'm sure this was a direct shot at that, at him, yeah. him going off with the Maharishi. Right. Um, there's a lot of... I mean, the whole film is questioning what you're seeing, right? Because we're used to seeing the monkeys, and we're used to... And they're actually... It's very... It, it's very tightly photographed, so you don't see it that well, but their apartment set is there. Yeah. It's just, it's covered with stuff, and it's like, yeah. it's, it's, you're not, you're, you're expecting to see it, and you kind of do, and you kind of don't. There, there's one other thing. I only noticed one other specific thing from the show, and that was when they're flying, in, when they're falling somewhere and they're landing on various things, one of them lands on the bed. 
the very same bed that you see them pushing down the street in right. the opening sequence of the monkeys. It's on screen for like a half a second. Yeah. That's it. It's I, I I guess I said I really do believe that they expected people to drop acid before they went to see this film or at least have a toke or two or something. Well, Jack probably thought that, yeah. Well, he probably did every of the 150 million times he saw it. Um, I loved Victor Mature because it was so ridiculous. And he basically is the jolly green giant. He just stands there with his hands on his hips laughing, but he's like 50 feet tall. And he's supposedly, I guess, you know, they said you said he was... Uh, the victor so he was the great victor or the king yep. that they were all railing against but the idea of victor mature as like a giant kaiju i thought was actually pretty <laughs> funny i don't know the, there's such odd things like that weird character who kept showing up he's played by this character actor timothy carey and he's the one who like shows up in the western as the sort of bad guy yeah. and he crashes the birthday party the character's name is lord high and low okay yeah <laughs> And you know this guy. You've seen him in every in every '60s TV show because he was like six oh, four. Yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. Very kind of met. He played a lot of bad guys. I think he was in Columbo. He's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, strangely in Columbo, he owned, he owned a, a delicatessen. <laughs> he wasn't that even sound, a bad guy. Okay, that sounds right. Um, I love how they list Sonny Liston as extra. But, <laughs> um, he gets one line. Yeah. Back to the point I was having about them yeah. all seem separate. Davies number musically doesn't fit in with anything not at all it's this weird song and he's actually very dancing very well because of course that's yeah. part of his background he's a broadway dancer um the problem is it's just huh well it's yeah, not it's really a problem of, it's, <laughs> yeah it's the same as most of it it's out of nowhere all i can figure is it's yet and they're making fun of a lot of movie genres you get the western the yeah. war movie the, the diner sort of, you know, just talking in a diner movie, and you got the uh, the classic musical, the, the, the fancy dress musical numbers. And sure. The, the action, it, for some reason toward the end, it just breaks into an action movie with Davey running around beating up people three times his size. Yeah, which, well, you know. Very weird. But, you know, the monkeys don't feel, in fact, there's, there's one point where they're all, there's three of them looking for Peter. They can't find Peter. Yeah. Um, but they'd never feel like they're as cohesive a group. Like to me, it's like they're not even making eye contact with each other. It's very strange. Um, and I don't, again, I don't know if there's any prescience in this because either they know this is going to be the end of it or the director wanted to end it because he wanted to go on and do stuff like Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces and stuff like that. But it definitely, it honestly feels like a breakup film, among other things. It feels kind like of. a lot of things, but. One thing I noticed, and this works, I think, against it, is a lot of the time when you see the, the monkeys, you only see three of them yeah. at any given time. This was intentional. It was to evoke the whole three wise monkeys statue thing. Oh, really? You know, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. FFS. Yeah. FFS. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you notice for some reason it, there were, it was near the end and this was just right around the same time that Davey was beating people up. Suddenly somebody in the background is wearing the full head-to-toe I Dream of Genie costume. No, I missed that. Yeah, I she's got know. brown hair. It's not. It's definitely not Barbara Eden, but it's like, okay. why in the world is somebody wearing that? Like, you're referencing another TV show, which I'm not even sure was on the same network, but whatever. Um, yeah, weird. I did see Jack Nicholson rushing through real quick. Um, yeah, I wouldn't recognize Dennis Hopper's there too. I wouldn't He's recognize just, him that well, but uh, I did also uh, sit there and just dropped my jaw at Frank Zappa because I'm <laughs> like, 
how, how would you get him in this? Because I just figured he was wa- out walking his cow, and they asked <laughs> if he'd stop by for a minute. Well, the best part is you can tell that not only did they film him, they needed to get him to come back and loop his dialogue, because his yeah. dialogue was obviously recorded over. Now, you are somewhat of a Zappa fan, right? I am. He's pretty much considered, like, anti-establishment, at least in the music industry, right? Very violently. Oh, yeah. So, he was very anti-establishment. I don't know what he wanted to do. With the monkeys, except that they let him... Maybe they said, hey, you can actually tell him he's a bad musician. That's um, what he does. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Do you know... Would he, Do you think he would be somebody that would have embraced counterculture to, to the, in the vein of Easy Rider, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So okay, that's probably it. Yeah. And his being know, there... Well, his being there, do you think it adds a weird stamp of sincerity or is it a sellout moment for frank zappa i don't think it's a sellout moment because i can't imagine he made any money off of it well <laughs> there is that <laughs> yeah uh i think it, it was just something he thought yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was just something that they told him and he said be in the movie with the monkeys yeah whatever man <laughs> that sounds like it could be weird yeah who knows i Frank Zappa's thought processes were known mostly to Frank Zappa. Mm. He was an, a brilliant guy, and it, it, it's astonishing. People always go for his weird lyrics. The guy was a guitar genius. Yeah. But he wasn't for everybody, because his stuff, he's like, I, I'm going to do what I think is cool, and I don't care if anybody likes it or not. If I understand correctly, remember there was a, a story, somebody, one of our friends told us that basically... The band itself was so incredibly tight and talented that the the tryouts to get in the band were ridiculous. Oh, it and was insane. So many musicians got rejected from them. And they were like, there are stories of guitar players who would like storm off going, he wants you to do, it's physically impossible to do what, what he wants. And then be like, hi, I'm Vinny Caliuda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Well, I'm, uh, I'm about out of notes. How are you doing yeah, your notes? Yeah. Uh, I, I think we can uh, bring it to close because I would like to also just you know, finish up the uh, series itself. Yeah, but also uh, I think this one people might be surprised because. Yeah. Uh, but let's find out. The roundup. So Max. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Notice I I wedged that yeah, in. I like noticed. I, I noticed. <laughs> so yes, you haven't I'm seen not even trying anymore. Mm-hmm. How long have you had you been aware that this film existed? Oh, I heard about it back in the 70s. I knew okay. it existed. Yeah. And were you a Monkees fan? I can't, well, I watched a lot of the show. I don't think I watched the whole, all of it, but I watched a bunch, well, such as it was. It was like two, two three seasons. Uh, I, there were some of their songs I really enjoyed. And I got to say, I agree with my, both Mike Nesmith and I think Davy Jones both said it was Mickey Dolan's voice that gave the Monkees their distinctive sound. Because let's face it, Davey, who has a nice voice, but he sounds like every other British rocker. Yeah, of rocker. He, that's boy. That's well, nice. excuse me. Yeah, pop artist. Yeah. Pop artist, basically. But Mickey had a very distinctive voice, and some of their songs I get a real kick out of. I still like Daydream Believer. I I like uh, Last Train to Clarksville or Pleasant Valley Sunday. Or, is that one? Why don't you cut your hair? Why don't you live up there? Oh yeah, it's uh, it's got a weird title I to it. I can never remember the name because it has nothing to do with the lyric. Yeah, but some yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was a fan as in fanatic, but I enjoyed them. Yeah. What about you? 
Uh, my sister and I loved the show. We went looking for records. We had to get them used because, you know, when we were kids, it was probably five, six years after the monkeys had broken up and nobody had, you know, it was hard to find yeah. records. Um, and we enjoyed them. The, you know, I think the show was very much aimed towards a younger audience, not necessarily yeah. children, but we thought it was funny. Um, so I, I don't think I knew that the film existed until I was in high school at some point. Um, and so I would heard about it. And I, as I said, I thought I remembered it showing it up at the Harvard square, um, more than once. But I had definitely not seen it before today. So um, now that you've seen it, what is your impression of Head? Oh, dear. Um, I'm glad I saw it because it's certainly an, an interesting thing for the history of the monkeys and music, uh, movies involving rock bands, but I don't think it's very good. It's just all over the place. And the music isn't good. It, and the monkeys are capable of entertaining songs, and I don't think there were any in this. It was kind of disappointing. I mean, it's kind of fun to play Spot the Cameo, but <laughs> it didn't really work for me. But it was interesting, and again, from a historical perspective, and again, to see sort of a, as part of the genre. Mm. What about you? Well, the, you know, when I watched it, it was just this disconnected mess. It is... Um, it's imagine if the kids in the hall were not funny, they were just themselves. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. And then occasionally there'd be a song you didn't like. It's kind of like that. A little but, bit. But the thing I will have to say is it was interesting. Um, there was a lot of shots at the establishment, which I did not expect to see even, you know, as funny or as cute as it was blowing up a Coke machine with a tank. It was still a comment on something. Now, it might be just a comment on whatever part of the trip Jack was on at the time, uh, but it was still a comment. The brutality in the footage of Vietnam, utterly unexpected. Um, and a lot of the stuff they talk about, this is one point where they're in the black box and they're talking about, I think it was Mickey who's talking about how you make your own universe and you're trapped within your own universe. No, that, that was Peter. He was, was talking. Okay. He was repeating what the Maharit, that the guru, the Swami, had said basically about the distinction between reality and perception. Right, and that's still. And I think they're also talking about um, what would you rather have? Would you rather have a fake reality or real reality? And you don't even know what real reality is. And you know, there's a lot of stuff going on that is of the time. That is actually, in a way, really well encapsulated in this film. The, the attitudes, even the attitudes of the band towards themselves as being this manufactured thing is in the film. Um, that's why I think it's very much sort of a breakup film in a way. And again, we find out that the director was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I created these guys and I'm done. They said I had to do a monkey's film. All right, I'll give them a monkey's film. Let's do a monkey's yeah. film. That means that no, I don't have to I do another one. I could say I could agree with that. I think it's interesting, but it's not fun to watch. No, it's it's work. It's and it's it's not even an hour and a half. It feels a lot longer. I will say that we lucked out because the Criterion Collection version is illegally available on <laughs> YouTube, and it's a really nice print. It's a very good print. I'm really glad that it was not the uncut, you know, restored 110 yeah, minute version because I, I don't think that exists. Nobody seems to know where that footage is. Good. Um, if you like the monkeys, if you're a big monkeys fan, I would avoid this film because it is not mm. what you're expecting. No, it's not a monkeys movie, really. It is not. 
if it's you very are, much a '60s movie, it is a very much a '60s movie. If you're in true into the era, the psychedelic era, the counterculture era, if you want to see some very pointed discussion about that, sure. If you're at all curious about the time period, about what a psychedelic film looks like, because I think this is actually probably one of, strangely enough, one of the more approachable <laughs> psychedelic films. Probably. Um, sure, go ahead. But in general, probably not. Um, this kind of thing. It's also, in a way, kind of sad to see social unrest so long ago and what's happened since then. Um, mm. So there's a sort of level of depression in there you can interject if you want. But Max, yeah. you wanted to talk about the series as a whole. I did. I just wanted to try to bring it back together. We've been talking about the Beatles and the, the influence they had. And I mean, some of the revelations we've had is, wow, the Beatles were very influential. Boom! <laughs> shocker! <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <ya. laughs> yeah, wow, man. I, I, you were right. I didn't buy it. I thought, <laughs> but I, I do, I do think it's interesting not just how they influence music, but how they influence movies. The stuff we talk about. Yeah. And we had, you know, the the, the different jukebox movies, and then you had the sort of strange takes on them, like Yesterday. Yeah. And the histories, the ones we never, we didn't see, the other documentaries, like Get Back or <laughs> Beatles Anthology or. Nowhere Boy, which is sort of a fictionalized version of John Lennon's life. There was, there's a lot we didn't get to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really wanted to see Backbeat again, which is a film about the very generally unknown uh, Beatle Stuart Sutcliffe, who basically was about to join them and had, uh, oops, spoiler, had an aneurysm right before he was going to join the Beatles. Oh, um, dear. I saw it and it came out and I remember liking it. There's tons of stuff you could look at, some of which is done at the time or later. Um, but let's face it, we're still talking about him. We've yep. got two Beatles left, and I think the most recent of the films we watched was what two thousand nine. So, uh, two thousand nineteen. Nineteen. Oh, that's right, because that one. Yeah, yesterday was yep. really was very recent. So, I there's still a thing. I don't know that they've influenced film so much. I think they've influenced the way we look at and are fed popularity. They've changed. They they created a new kind of fame. Yeah, and they also created a new way. Just we deal with the uh, musicians. We deal with the. Uh, Pop stars. Well, and anybody famous and their personal life. And, you know, you would think after having gone through basically what is the worst case of privacy invasion that we would have changed things. But no, it just has been getting worse. It's gotten worse. I mean, I can't imagine the Beatles in the age of social media. Oh, my God. Like, oh, Lord. Although I would be, I would be really interested to see what John Lennon would do to people on Instagram or Twitter. Because he would just be, he would be the world's biggest troll, I think. He would just start <laughs> saying ridiculous things just to get people to react. Potentially, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're done. This series is yeah, over. we have finished. So, where do we go from here? Well, we're going to be doing a three-part series. Um, and the first part, apparently, I'm going to be taking care of. The second part, yes. Max will be taken care of. But... Yeah. The third part, you're going to be taken care of, and we've already got some we're lazy, and we want you to do the work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but before we even get to that, yeah, Max, would you go over the poll question again, please? Oh, okay. We almost forgot. <laughs> who is, I did not, I have it right in front of me, who is your favorite star who made the jump successfully from TV to movies? And you can let us know this at our website, maxmikemovies.com. You can leave a comment. You can email us, as only Dr. Lauren has done, Ooh. at us at maxbikemovies.com. Tons of bumpy you bucks can, for her. And lots of bumpy bucks. You can, of course, reach us on the socially mediated things, Facebook and Twitter and 
may still stay on Twitter because it looks like Elon may be dropping out because Elon's of Twitter getting bots. larger. <laughs> because of Twitter bots. Yeah. I don't care. I don't uh, either. But at Max Bike Movies, and of course you can always hear us on the podcast app that we have chosen for you. Or, <laughs> yeah. or your, your own choice. Just not Spotify. Um, yeah, and heck, in one of those places you can help give us suggestions about this new yes. series, which is going to be called Focus On. I just made that up because Max and I forgot to talk about it. Yes, we uh, did. That's fine. That's fine. And what we're doing is we are picking each an actor of some sort, and that could be an a actor. Male we, actor. Yep. No, it could but be female. I thought we were starting with the men. Maybe we do uh, one with uh, women later. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter. Actor is a term okay. I use to be either. So, um, actor of our choice. Maybe it's somebody yep. we really like or somebody we really hate. Doesn't matter. And we're going to look at four films by that actor. And we're going to yep. start off with my choice. And my choice is John Cusack. Ah. And you may try and guess what his, the first film we're going to watch. Go ahead, Max. Say oh. anything. Oh, well, I don't know. I, I figure the fidelity would have to be pretty high on that guess. No, no. Just, just say anything. Uh, um, 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 Max, nip. A say anything. Word what? I you always say anything. Dalgy, uh, <laughs> protoplasm. Oh, oh, the movie is called "Say Anything." Yes. Okay, sure. Ah. It is probably one of Cusack's most iconic performances, and interestingly, it's one I've never seen. Um, never seen this. Okay, I've never seen. I've seen him hold up the the Roy Dobler box and do his, yep. you know, the Lloyd Lloyd Dobler. Lloyd Dobler whatever. See, I told it you, it matters. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the Lloyd Dobler box where he, he has uh, Peter Gabriel uh, yep. singing, and I know that he's in the rain, and uh, that's uh, like Spider-Man or something. Um, but we're going to delve deep into uh, four of John Cusack's films, and then uh, we're going to have a little break because something's happening. But should we? No, we yes. should. Well, just say something's happening. Yeah, yeah, something's happening. But, uh, and then after, once we uh, do John Cusack. And then we do our super special secret. Max is going to have an actor of his choice, male or female, like or doesn't like. Yep. And then you are going to choose one for us, and we will choose four films from the actor of your choice. Yes. We might even ask you if you want to choose the films, too. And uh, we'll see what we think of that person. But until next week, Max, just say anything. Anything. (sighs) Fired. Bumpy, get in here. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.